Thank you for joining the Relief from Grief podcast by Mrs. Miriam Ribiat and Chevra Lomde Mishnah. Our goal is to help you find the chizik you may need and the comfort of knowing that you are not alone. To sponsor an episode, visit chevralomdemishnah.org forward slash podcast and bring comfort to listeners like you. Hello, everybody, and thank you so much for joining me here today in the Relief from Grief podcast. Today is sponsored the Eli Nishmas Alexander Ben Avram Ali Melech, and we do offer sponsorship opportunities. If anyone is interested in learning more about it, you can contact me directly. I'm Rabbi at chavralamdemishnah.org. You could go to the website, chavralamdemishnah.org. And thank you so much for coming in. So today we have over here on the Relief Movie Podcast, Rabbi Y.Y. Rubenstein, who was originally from Scotland and the UK. He spent seven years in Gita Yeshiva, where he got smicha, followed by three years in Kolel. And he was also the official rabbi for the 14 universities of Northwest of England, te- teaching and caring for three and a half thousand students. Did I get that right? Yep. <laughs> he also taught in many yeshivas and seminaries and is now an international lecturer, speaks all over the place. And the late Queen of England declared herself an official fan of him and asked to meet with him. So, Ray Rubenstein, thank you so much for coming on. <laughs> it's a pleasure. <laughs> Let's start with the Queen of England. Did you meet with her? <laughs> no, it was just, she came to Manchester, moved to America about 11 years ago. And just before we moved, she came to the to, to Manchester, to an official visit. And she spent the morning with the Jewish community visiting Jewish schools. And at the end of the of the morning was a reception and all the big machers of the Jewish community were standing in a line waiting to shake hands with the Queen. And the president of the community shook hands with the Queen and she said, is Rabbi Waiwai here? And, and he said, oh, no, ma'am. Oh, what a pity. We listen to him all the time on the radio and we think he's awfully good. So there you go. That's the story of the Queen wanted to meet me. So it was just when we were moving, we're just about to move. My wife, who comes from California, has never forgiven me for not postponing the move <laughs> so we could go to Buckingham Palace and have tea with the Queen, <laughs> which would have been very nice. I was a big. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> Arise, Sir Y.Y. Rubenstein. Why is this night different to all other nights? Yeah. And all these are jokes. <laughs> okay, so I guess let's start with your story in England a little bit, right? That's where you lived with your family and your wife got mm-hmm. sick and was left there. Yep. Yeah, well, uh, we were married for 26 years. And one day she found something, a lump. Tumor is the, incidentally, the Latin word for lump. I should say, before I say anything else, I wrote a book about this called The Little Little Book for Big Worries, Dealing with Serious Illness. I'm not trying to sell the book, by the way. It's just that I was very, very lucky. The the book, there's almost no month that goes by with a a complete stranger coming up and saying that when my father was sick and my mother was sick or my, God forbid, children were sick, it was that book that got us through it. Because, of course, if you've been through the experience, then you're very well equipped to help other people get through it as well. So... It's it's just that the words the words of illness get people get very worried about, and tumor as a Latin for lump. I have had fourteen lumps cut out of my body. They're called lipomas. They're little nodules of fat. Ninety five, ninety six percent of lumps that a person finds in their body are completely harmless. Of course, you should get them checked and nothing to worry about. 
and you've got 96% chance that there is nothing to worry about. However, in her case, she found a lump and it was something to worry about. So after five years of the rocky ride that fighting cancer is, that's an understatement, my late wife passed away. So that was, yeah, that was that was quite a challenge. How, how old were your children at the time? Right, so I have, I have four sons and two daughters. So three were already married. One was living in Erzisrael already, and, and two were in Manchester in England. And then three were not married. So the son, I think he was 16. 16, I think. And then my daughters were 10 and seven, 10 and seven if I remember okay. correctly. Like very well. Mm. So it was it was uh, quite quite chat. That's indeed that's one of the, the the most difficult things of all, is to know how much to share with your children when their mommy or their daddy's not well. And I, I certainly turned to my role for the gates of Rob, Rabbi Rakov, the Kitsadi of Rocha, for guidance on this. I mean, there are certain things in life that you get absolutely no preparation for, for obvious reasons. One of them is marriage. I mean, you do get, of course, the Lema Halochas of marriage, etc. But before you, but there's very little preparation for, you know, actually living together with a wife or a husband and growing together, making a family. And so you sort of, you learn, you learn the hard way by making mistakes. Nobody prepares you also for, for obvious reasons, um, for the assumption that one of you is going to become very ill. Of course, if we all reach our later stages of life, that's really quite inevitable that one is going to become infirm with something, if it's not not necessarily life-threatening. So these are things you pick up along the way. So I wrote a book about this. It's very interesting. It's called The Little Book for Big Worries. I don't know if you can see that. Small book. Yeah. And I intentionally made it small because I want people to be able to carry it with them in their purse or in their in their pocket when they went oh, to, wow. to hospitals. And what were you told about how much to tell the kids? Well, the younger ones, the younger three, I was told to not tell them when it was getting really bad, of course. The cancer is generally, it's interesting, people don't know why, why cancer is called cancer. Cancer is the, no, we're back to Latin. It's the Latin word for crowd. So why is that disease called cancer? And the answer is, if you've ever been to a, a beach, instead of having sand, it's got rocks, a rocky beach, and you pick up a rock, very often underneath it, you find a little crab and then immediately scuttles elsewhere. So they call the disease cancer because it seemed to, if... You know, if they if they incised it, if they cut out the cancer in one place, it seems to scuttle elsewhere and reappear. That's why it's called that. So a journey of that type is generally it's progressive, obviously, and things get more dramatic towards the end. <clears throat> I always think that if it's a bit like dropping a plate or the, the lid of a pot, it goes bang 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 you know, there's big bang, 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 and it speeds up. So when it was quiet, after the first treatment, I was we were extremely optimistic. There was three episodes. The, the original location of the cancer, then it spread elsewhere to another part of the body. By the time it's, it spread to the third part of the body, which was the lungs, um, you know, things were looking. It would require an ace of the scale of ET to thrive. Anyway, so basically at that stage, that's when I asked for the guidance, what to tell the children. So you want to let them know. I certainly know of one couple who didn't let their children know. In fact, they sent one of their children away a few days before the mother died. And she never forgave her father. And I suppose her mother as well uh, for doing that. You know, when she came back, mommy had died. And I know actually a rabbi, a very close friend of mine, who told me the same story. I mean, he, he, he Again, but that was, I mean, my generation, obviously ancient, but the people weren't quite as open about it these things and how to deal with these things. He just came in one day and there was his grandmother sitting at the table. Where's mommy? 
you knew she was not well, didn't you? And that was that. And that's the first time the boy was told his mother was really sick or how sick she was. In fact, she'd passed away. Terrible. So in order to try and get it right, because I had no experience in it, because none of us have really any experience in it, I asked my Rob, so he said, the older ones, you can be pretty open with. The ones who are not married, the teenager, enough so that he wouldn't have that reaction. But the little girls, almost, you know, little, very little, because they couldn't deal with that. So I remember my oldest daughter towards the end. Now she was 10, 10, 11, I think. And so I want, as, as I knew that things were coming to the end, at least I knew there, here in my heart, of course, I was hoping for, a, you know, a niece. So I said, are you worried about mummy? In England, it's mummy, not mommy. I said, are you worried about mummy? And she said, no. And I said, I am. And that's, that's as much as I felt it was appropriate to say. Uh, to let Did her... that make her feel worried? Did that like... You know, I wanted her to, I wanted, I didn't want it to be a shock. I don't want to say, well, I'm not worried either. And then, you know, three days later, then mummy's away. I wanted right. it to be prepared. So you do it gently. It's a, it's a Rashi in the Torah. To Abba Mavino, Kachno is Binacho. So why didn't you just say Yitzchok? So Rashi gives two, two explanations. One, to give him a reward for each reply that he gave. Because he said, I've got two, your only son. Their only son to each of his mother. And you love, I love them both. So you got a reward for all those answers. Another one is simply to break bad news gently and incrementally, stage by stage. I mean, when I was the campus rabbi that you mentioned before, my primary job was looking after students. Of course, I give lots of shirim and Baruch Hashem, lots of students. I was able to, to show them an open door, which many of them took towards being Sharon Terror Mitzvahs. But once I got a phone call at four o'clock in the morning to tell a girl that her brother had been killed in a car crash. Aye, aye. So I took a social worker, a lady who was a friend of her, her family, with me. And I went to her, the halls of residence, you know, her student accommodation, knocked on the door, I think it's seven o'clock in the morning. I wanted to get to her before anybody did. And, you know, young lady, when you know, with her dressing gun, Rabbi, why, why? Sorry, I need to speak to you. So she was obviously, that already is a problem. And she comes out, so the social worker was there. I, I mean, she's going to need a hug and a cuddle very soon. And of course, it needs a woman to be able to do that. And so I said, I'm afraid I've got some bad news. It's about your brother. There's been a car crash. And then she was getting it at that point. Right. So it was the exact same four stages I copied from Rashi. Wow. Stage by stage, you got to break news very gently when it's bad news. So basically, that was the, that's how I did it with my daughter, the older one. It was just simply to let her know that there was something to be worried about. So it shouldn't come as a shock. Wow. Wow. And I was going to ask you something. Yeah, I think I was, when we were texting last night, I said, like, I was texted about this. Anything that, from the community, that stands out as amazing how they supported you or individuals, like stupid stuff? <laughs> well, it's funny. Um, <laughs> the, this is the book that I mentioned before. You see, the, the title of the book is The Little Book for Big Warriors. But underneath the subtitle is Dealing with Serious Illness. As I saw people in stores, you know, it's very nice. I don't know if you've ever published a book, but I've, I've done quite a few. And you see that, you know, a pile of, of your, your book and stuff. And I've seen people do this in my own eyes. They pick it up and they go, ooh, looking at it. And then they, they read the first bit and then their eye falls on the word illness. And I saw people going, ah, you know, just reading the word illness. 
automatically means you're going to you're going to be not well. So, but there was so they saw these books sold almost nothing in the stores, which contradicts what I'm, I told you before about being thanked so much for writing about so many people. Right. However, the, I wrote that this book is for people looking after people who are not well. Right. All right. How to deal with doctors? How to deal with you know? It's all about. And saying the right thing. There's two chapters about saying the right thing, so critical, et cetera, et cetera. It wasn't for the people who were sick themselves. However, right. the people who were sick themselves who got the book, it spoke to them a lot. So there was a fellow in Brooklyn, an old fellow, apparently been on my share with cancer, and somebody gave him a copy. He went out and bought 50 copies. And when he went for treatment at Sloan Kettering, the cancer hospital in New York, then he simply went around the waiting room of the chemotherapy suite or the or the radiology suite, is that a Jewish, a Jewish? And, and gave them up. Are you serious? Oh, yeah. And, and then he bought another 50. By the time he passed away, about a year and a half later, he'd given away 500 copies. And that was not uncommon. So the book, there's very few of them left. I'm, I must reprint soon. But basically, because it spoke to people from being there. So to your question, it's really important, as the Mishnah says in in Six Pericopirkeovis. And also, you've got to be able to bear somebody's pain as though it's your own. But there's two words in, in English that both come from the same Greek word. We've done Latin. We're now doing Greek. Very sophisticated. <laughs> so the word, the word is pathos in Greek, which means to feel. So there's, of course, the word sympathy. But there's another, other, another word called empathy. The sympathy is to feel sorry for somebody, but empathy is to feel as though you are the person. So to, to fulfill that, that mitzvah, you've got to be empathetic. And that's really only possible at the highest levels, I believe, if you've been through the same sort of story yourself, the same sort of journey yourself. So people who know that I've been through it, then often I'm sitting in my chairs over to my the two chairs for seats for people coming to talk to me as a rabbi. And very often people are there, you know, because they know that I know what they're going through in this journey. But if you don't, then you can say some really stupid things. So you mentioned stupid. So when I was writing this book, one of our, my very closest friends is Rabbi Professor Dr. David Gottlieb, who teaches at Orsamir. He recently married Rebison Heller, who's now Rebison Gottlieb. And I was very, very friendly with Rabbi Gottlieb and his late wife. And when we were, my wife was first diagnosed with cancer, she phoned us up and gave the most brilliant piece of advice. She said, lots of very good people and very sincere and kind people are going to say lots of really stupid things to you. Don't get upset. Keep an idiot book. <laughs> Keep an idiot book. Incidentally, this is so brilliant. I tell people just to do this generally in life because people are always upsetting other people unintentionally. There was a woman who came up to me, a lovely, and I know this lady, lovely lady, from lady and a nice lady. And she said to her, and this was in England, but she wasn't from England. And she said, what sort of cancer do you have? And so my wife told her the kind of cancer. You know, Mrs. Cohen had this cancer, and she got a brocha from a tzaddik that she should live long enough to see all her children married underneath the chuppah. Why are you marrying your children off so quickly? Gewaldig! The new number one at the top of the idiot book. Instead of being upset and going, you just think, <laughs> you're in the book. And this was such a brilliant piece of advice. Now, I have to tell you, in all fairness to even more stupid people, that said she was not off her number one position many, many times afterward. But, but, and it's not people's fault. And that's why I wrote the book, you know, so to help people 
to not say the wrong things. So, yeah, people said stupid things. I think that, like, maybe even a few years ago, you wrote an article for the Lynx magazine like this, because I think I remember reading. Oh, and, yeah. and I write also in the Lynx magazine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, so could I write a response to my Rubenstein's article now? Like, could my article be a response? And I'm not sure if she asked you or not. It could be she asked you, it could be she said, oh, he's not the type to care. And it just, because I was reading it and I was laughing and all the stupid things that people said to me when I was sitting Shiva just like came bubbling up and I'm like sitting in my house, like alone, just, just laughing. <laughs> so I yeah, kind of- Yeah, yeah. So, yeah the, I think the most stupid thing during Shiva and there was, uh, Shiva incidentally, I'm a, you know, the Ramban says there are certain things in the Torah which the Klausrol gave to the world, like Shabbat, Shabbat. Now, of course- we're not talking about non-Jewish people keeping Shabbos the way that you and I keep Shabbos with muksa and, uh, and Giddush and stuff like that. But just the idea that you don't have to work for the rest of your life, 365 and a quarter days of your life, which incidentally they do in a place called Japan and Korea and China. I think it's Kuroshi. Have you heard of the Japanese word Kuroshi? Kuroshi is dropping dead at your work. It's so common for people to start in a company at 16 and then, you know, when they're 73 or something, still they totally and fall over dead. There's a name for this. You're not expected effectively to ever stop working. So one of the other is one of the great things that Cloud Shaw could, you know, offer to the world or offer gave to the world is <coughs> obviously the idea of taking a day to actually stop and maybe try and remember your children's first names and do something with them. Another one, I'd love to give it to the world, but Shiva is the most wonderfully therapeutic brilliant invention of the word is that Hashem Yisbarach gave. You know, you're sitting there in deep pain and everybody's asking you what happened uh, after they've allowed you to speak first, because maybe you just don't want to speak, but then you're saying the whole thing over and over and over and over, thousand, ten thousand times. And what that does is to, uh, it heals you. It's, you're venting, it's, it's, it's dulling the pain because now it's become a script as opposed to a, a cry from the heart, a creed occur. That's our fifth language, incidentally, in this talk. So, French. So, it's absolutely brilliant. Why am I telling it? Oh, yes. At the Shiva, the most stupid thing somebody said to me was day four of the Shiva. Are you interested in the new Shiva? Oh, my goodness. Day four. Now, that was, this was a rabbi, by the way, utterly brilliant in the stupid call. I mean, he went straight to the top. <laughs> day four, I'm interested in getting married somebody else. Are you interested in jumping off a very high building? No. Well, I'm not interested in getting... I mean, what? So that was that. However, I've started the wrong way around. You know, go back to Rabbi Gottlieb. He once asked the, his Rebbe, the, the old Bosnian Rebbe, who was a very wise and clever man, should he adopt the minhag, as so many uh, Bali Musa do, or before you say Shema at night, reviewing your day to see, you know, where you got it right, where you got it wrong, to work on yourself. And he thought for a second, he said, yes, it's a very good minhag to adopt, as long as you start with your achievements first. It was very clever. I think when it comes to this question, I should have started with the achievements, because the chesed of Klaldisrael, I write about this a lot, and I never fail to be astonished at the chesed of Klaldisrael, was simply, over those five years, the stories I could tell you would take days Days, sure. the sensitivity, sure. the the support, the financial support, the people take to the hospital. Uh, there was two men when my wife was too ill to come downstairs to go for treatments, who used to come and carry her down in a special chair. Wow. Uh, I mean, just yeah. There is a very interesting statistic I wrote in one of my other books that you probably know that there's an, an obvious correlation between 
poverty and ill health, right? If you're super rich, you can get to the super best doctor and super immediate time and, and everything, you know, the best medicines, the best treatments. And of course, you're eating better, so maybe you're not going to get so ill in the first place. So that statistic is universal and inviolable, except in Ertzeshol. In Ertzeshol, the poorest segment of the society are the Haredim, and yet they have a, if I remember, a 10-year longer lifespan really? than the richest, which are the non-from. Why? Because they're surrounded with chesed. They have resources. First of all, the psychological resource of just people who, you know, organizations like Links or it's the parallel one pillars, which does the very, very, the only real difference is Links is bigger and it's very professional. Everybody works there for a salary now, as far as I know. Uh, pillars is, is still sort of amateur in the sense that nobody gets paid, but they're both doing very, very splendid work. So you've got organization of pillars and you've got links and, and others, there are others, including your own. Then there are a ton of let's make mention the name. Yes, please. Go, 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 this is your moment. No, <laughs> work from our sponsor. But there's so much chesed that it actually takes the poorest segment of Israeli society, which is us, and, and it gives them longer lives. And just the quality of the life is obviously enormously enhanced as well. So it's hard. It's, you know, it's funny. Maybe it is the right, maybe I did do it the right way around because it's easier to think of the exceptions to the rule than the rule itself. The rule is if you're going to be not well, be not well in Clown's Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's why there was, right? Wasn't that recently where they caught in Eritrea people that were really, they, they were really guy and they were infiltrated. What's the word? What one? Missionaries? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and they were saying like what like the mother was sick even for like a while and like the neighbors were like they took care of the mother, they took care of the kids, they did everything for her. Yeah. Like you say, be sick while while you're Jewish. Then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a beautiful story I heard about a fellow who had a restaurant in, in Manhattan and afterwards every day there was obviously tons of food left and he used to go walk to where his car was parked in some parking garage and there was an alley and in the alley there was a black guy there. You know, a homeless down there guy. And he sort of thought to himself, this is crazy. Why am I throwing this stuff in the garbage? Guys, got nothing. So the next day, he brings a package, a care package for this guy. And he says, hi, my name's whatever it is, and I own the restaurant down the street here. I saw you, I've seen you the last couple of days. thought you maybe like this from a, from a restaurant. I don't take no food from no Jew. I used to so He said to the guy, and the guy, who is a Jewish? says, I'm not Jewish. You're a Jew. Only a Jew would do such a thing. I take no Jewish food. <laughs> Fine, okay, good. So he just walks away. Fine, okay. So he goes home, and he's on the phone later on to his mother. He tells him, it's a crazy guy. He went, so obnoxious. And he went offering him food. He wouldn't take food from a Jew. I said, not Jew. He still wouldn't take it. He insisted that it was a Jew. He not a matter of fact, you are. Oh, my goodness. It's a true story. So, you know, it's, it's in our DNA. That's where we start. Every Jew is a Ben Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, but we start with Avram. We're Ben Avram and Sarah, Mr. and Mrs. Chesed. So the, the, the number one, just invite anybody to come to any Haredi Kehillah and look at the, the Kehillah directory that they always produce. And look at the pages on Gemachs. There's a Gemach for everything. Um, you know, babies, um, what do you call them? Soothers, whatever they call them. You know, what do they call them? Pacifiers. Pacifiers, that's the word, yeah. Pacifiers. Mother's milk. Right. <laughs> For women who can't nurse. And think of it. It's their medical equipment. Of course, medical equipment. 
is a base Sarah or old Sarah in Nerds Israel. Started up as just a little chesed organization for wheelchairs, and now it's a huge building with, I mean, what, chesed? Yeah. So I can't, I honestly can't even begin where to start with the chesed of Kalasral when it comes to serious sickness and illness for my children and towards me and my late wife. Let me tell you just one story. This is a beautiful story. This is after my, my late wife passed away. So after my late wife passed away, it was just before Shavuos. And I thought that the, the important thing to do was to reassemble the family all together to try and get some normality back, where, of course, no, normality is, of course, abnormal. But but I got a phone call from somebody called Rebison Jacobowitz, Lady Jacobowitz. The chief rabbi of England was Lord Jacobowitz. And Lady Jacobowitz, who was a monk, the famous monk rabbinic family, remarkable. I mean, she was a one-woman class for all when it came to Hassan. She phoned me up and she was our chesed towards us coming to there was incidentally I never heard of any Jew in England who was seriously sick who didn't get a phone call from Lady Jacobowitz how right. she knew how <laughs> she must actually got on the life and just phoning people up and she came several times to, to visit my wife before we even get onto it but basically she uh, she phoned and said some of your friends in London have got together and they want to send you to Switzerland for to a kosher hotel for Shavuos oh nice right so I thought this was not a nice idea because I wanted the family all to be together. And, and so I said, well, Lady Jacobus, that's extremely nice. And she mentioned the friends. So I've got a few you know, wealthy London friends. I mean, London Jews are, the chesed there is off the scales as well. So I said, I think I just want to uh, have us all back together. <coughs> so she's being, she was brilliant. Oh, she knew she could <laughs> twist me around her little finger as it were. She said, of course, no problem. I fully understand. An hour later, Diane Aaron Troy, Zakatsadili Vrocho, just passed away. His Rebbitson was on the phone. How are you? I believe that some of your friends in London have want to send you to Shib- away for Shavuot. I think it's a great, and I realized she was mounting a campaign to get me. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> so strategist. Oh, bro. Anyway, so I was determined not to do this, but my brother in law and I were walking in one of the big supermarkets there. It's called Tesco. And of course, we mentioned before Shiva, everybody knows what to do when it comes to Shiva, right? You don't speak to who you're spoken to by the availing, et cetera, et cetera. But after Shiva, and this is an important point, nobody knows what to do. And sometimes it's a big letdown and a big sort of like, boom, you know, suddenly the doorbells aren't ringing. Nobody's coming in anymore. I always try and make a point of going to Shiva house after Shiva because, you know, it's it's almost though you've taken away the- The bubble. The, the, the blanket, the, what's the guy what did Charlie Brown have? That was that blanket thing, security blanket. It's a, you know, it's important to keep coming in and phone people who are, who are not well than people who are just getting over Shima. Yeah. Anyway, so we were in this supermarket and I noticed there's a lot, it's a from area, so there's lots of from couples. It's not a Jewish one, it's the general one. And and they were pushing their, you know, their, their carts or trolleys as they call them over there. And, and, and they could see us coming, my brother-in-law and me, and they were going, husbands and wife were dashing down aisles. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you don't know what to do. You know, it's not she. How are you feeling? <laughs> and there was one young couple who were walking towards, and they're busy talking to each other until they were only about, I think, ten yards ahead of us, and there was no aisle available. <laughs> and they looked up and suddenly saw us. It was like a deer in headlights. <laughs> and, and then I realized 
we were embarrassing people. I was making people feel uncomfortable. So we went to Switzerland for shows. But like, I mean, just, you know, yeah, somebody needs to go over that. Fine. And then another friend of mine came up with, you know, suddenly it's just after the Shiva and everything okay, put out his hand to, you know, to shake my hand. And it's actually his hand was full of a thousand pounds in notes, you know, just... You know, as, as we all know, I think illness is an extremely expensive time, even when you've got socialized medicine in England. There's a ton of expenses, you know, I know. And he wasn't the only one. I mean, gosh. So the Chesed of Carlos trial, unbelievable. I don't know. I don't, you and I don't know how people exist without Shabbos, how non-religious Jews exist without Shabbos. No, it's, I mean, no. It really is. I mean, all the, the poetic language, you know, but it's breathing again. How... Jews existed without Shiva, without a one-day Shiva and all this sort of nonsense. Right. The Chesed of Clowns, this world would be, an, to my mind, would be a very depressing and ugly place without without the Chesed of Clowns. It's true. It's amazing. So how many years after she was nifter did you come to America? Good question. So just under a year later, I remarried. The late wife was my shaman. So three days before she passed away, I told you the, the cancer spread to the lungs, but there was no oxygen machines in her room so she could breathe. And she was perfectly lucid and, and bright. And my daughters had gone, I think, to, was it Israel or London? I mean, we were quite happy to send them there because she was bright. They didn't know she was about to be an infant. Yeah. And with her sister there, I'm glad her sister was there, my, my sister-in-law. She said, you've got to promise me you'll remarry. And I didn't want to hear that. No. Because if I were to promise I'd remarry, it would be that I was accepting she was going to die. And I didn't want to do that. Now, as I mentioned before, here, I knew she was. But here, in my heart, <laughs> you, can see the, you can see that on the screen. I'm pointing at my chest. I, <laughs> yeah. But here in my heart, I, I didn't want that to be true. I'll just go for a second. You know, everybody in the sort of area that you and I are talking about, people always say Gamza Latoyba. And I think, and this is not, this, if nothing's Gaiva than this, then I don't know what it is. I think they get it completely wrong. Indeed, Nochum Ish Gamza used to say, whenever he had terrible things, terrible things, Gamza Latoyba. But he also had to make the Brocha Baruch Dain Hayamas. Baruch Dina Emes is the bracha you make because you don't get it and it hurts, but you're accepting that it's Hashem's will and he knows better than you. And then eventually comes all the time. But that's something that's going on in your brain. That's an intellectual response to suffering. But the heart hurts. Gamzu Latayva, right, is there. Baruch Dina Emes is there. And you've got to say both. You're going to be hurt. So where's Baruch Dina Emes? Baruch Dina Emes is in the heart. It is. If you're saying Borat Dina Emmas, somebody comes and t- tells you your grandmother's just been run over by a truck, you're not saying, oh, well, Gvaldic, Borat, yes, yes. no, you're not. Your heart broken. Of course, your heart broken. When you've got to say Borat Dina Emmas. You're saying Borat Dina Emmas because it hurts. And if you say to somebody, is this part of the Shem's plan? Gamza That's what you feel there. As Ramatasio said, there's, the, there's two neighbors told me once, there's two next door neighbors, Reuven and Shimon, and they never, almost never speak to each other. Reuven is the moyach, and Shimon is the leif. In the heart, it hurts when somebody's in, in pain, when you're in pain. But in the brain, you could say, oh, okay, comes to the time, but this is, but there's two different emotions going on there. Anyway, so basically, if we use that marshal, so here, 
I knew that she, was, she didn't have long to, to carry on. But here I was hoping for an ace. So if I was to say, yes, uh, if I was to assure I would remarry, then that would be saying that I was giving up in the heart. I was just relying on the brain. Right. So I said, don't even say that to me. So she said, no, you've got to promise me. And I said, don't even say that. So she went, like all good wives, she hacked and hacked and hacked and hacked <laughs> until eventually, like, oh, okay. And then she suggested who? She did? Yeah. So so that was that. So so a year after that, I remarried as at her, at her instructions. And bearing in mind, of course, as we also know with, with regards to Yacovino and Moshe Rabino, the, per, the thing that a person tells you on their deathbed, that's why the Strong went for Bracha from Yaakov, because we, we know that the Shekhinah is there. There are three times in a person's life when they're guaranteed to have Rocha Kaidash. One, if you go about your Shidduch in the right way, and you're going to get Rocha Kaidash, Hashem is going to put the right words in your mouth, his mouth or her mouth, and bring you both from different parts of the planet so the other two two halves of the same Neshama come together again. So that's the first time you're going to get Rocha Kaidash. The second is when you choose the name of your children. No matter how much effort you put into finding the ideal name, it is the ideal name because your name is you. It describes what your neshama is. And the third time is guaranteed is on your deathbed. What a person says on their deathbed, there's very, very strong likelihood that that is, is imbued with Ruach HaKadosh. So that was that. So then we, so my wife moved from, <laughs> from, from Los Angeles, California, sunny California, to Manchester, England. Yeah, where Manchester in England makes Noah's marble look like just sprinkling of rain. It's constantly rainy and miserable. That's a bit unfair, but it rains a lot. And so she came there. And we were there for, I think, seven years. And then we moved here. So seven years after we married. Oh, so you didn't uproot your kids. It wasn't like... New country, new mother, new everything. They, that's they, a big deal. That's a bit important. Both when I'm speaking to girls and links, and recently in in pillars, the remarriage thing is by far the greatest in the sign. In fact, oh, we had a whole group at pillars. I did the Shabbaton their Shabbaton two months ago, <clears throat> and me and Rabbi Rub, who is the one of the directors of it, we had a whole group of girls that was about second marriages, and it was very interesting. One of the girls said, "This is much worse than the loss of my parent." Really? And every single girl agreed. There was nobody, and I know that, you know, from, you know, a ton of experience, because I'm in this party here all the time, kids find out that, you know, by far the biggest in the remarriage of the, of the parents. And, I, and again, what experience do you have in this? Right. Another thing nobody prepares you for, they don't prepare you for the death of a spouse, they say, they don't prepare you for the remarriage to a new spouse, and you, the pain that you, your children are going to feel about this. And all, whenever I speak all over the world, there's only two things I really teach. And one of them is Asilacha Rav. That's not my teaching, obviously, but I really hack on about this. You're never going to be able to see yourself objectively. None of us can. And sometimes I hear myself giving advice to somebody and I think to myself, wow, that was clever. I'm thinking of them talking, wow, where did that come from? Why, why Rubenstein, you're <laughs> such a clever fellow. And then I might find myself six months later in precisely the same circumstances as those people. And do I behave the way that I told them to behave? Absolutely not. Why? Because it's me that's in pain or annoyed or upset. Right. Nobody sees themselves clearly. So you definitely need a rough. And I always like to add, it's in the masculine. The language of the Mishnah is in the language. The female version should be Asi Loch Ribbitson. And I, I always tell my, my girls in seminary that I teach, and I teach in two seminaries in New York, you know, 
if you've got a problem, go and speak to a woman, go and speak to a Robertson, particularly in these days when I'm afraid the, the, in today's sick world, that's absolutely essential. But you, you, a woman will understand a woman in a, in, in a way that a man could never understand. Right. So I always think it's essential to, you know, make sure the, the advice you're getting is, you know, appropriate to you. Why were we talking about this? What was I, how did I go off at this tangent? about remarriage I was asking about yeah remarriage yeah so basically you need tons of advice and unfortunately as I look at Rav is in the singular now my Rav had passed away the gates of Rav oh that would have been easier because I would have just done what he told me I never knew that I did did what my Rav told me but in this occasion I tried to ask as many people as possible and I got so much really good advice which was so absolutely contradictory <laughs> <laughs> so some people really, cl- I mean, if I, I'll tell you the names, rabbis and rebbitsons, some of whom you'll know, very, very big. You must sell the house and move into a new house. You must not sell the house and move into a new house. They'll say not only did they lose a mother, they lo- this woman has caused them to lose their home. That will cause them to be even more angry. You must do this. You mustn't do that. You must- and, and you're utterly totally confused and i'm sure most of their advice is based on what worked for somebody else for some people it doesn't mean to say it's going to work for you and so how it, did you decide what to do i suppose it went my heart or my emotion my ability to 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 deal with it i stayed we stayed in the house and and changes were made to the house which the kids didn't like uh, right. Because I wrote, they don't, I don't think they've got the column anymore. They used to think of the Delegate Dance and the Lynx magazine, which I was one of the, which is what you're referring to. And I actually said to them, you know, you know, you realize we're, we're answering the same questions every month. You know, it's just it, because it's sadly that is a machine. There, every week there's a new Yossam or Yossamas. I know my boss, Abahakin, says it's the same thing, like every single month. Each issue is the same. Like, okay, slight differences, but yeah, yeah that's yeah. the way Absolutely. it is. It's yeah, like... The questions are the same. Yeah. Uh, and I'm actually working on putting together a Shabbaton for parents of second marriages to at least allow them to be aware of the dangers and advise them to avoid the ones that are clearly avoidable. Right. Never ever insist that your children come to see you marrying another woman or be married to another man. And don't, men, I mean, I'm a man, so I can speak with authority. In my experience, men are really, in general, pretty stupid when it comes to these things. And the number I've heard who insisted that their daughters come to see him remarry this woman, and can't understand when he spent money buying them this beautiful wedding gown, you know, this beautiful dress to wear to the wedding. Why are they not pleased? I've been trying to master an American expression. It's, it's over here. We don't get it in England. And people say I don't get it right, but I try my best. It goes like this. Duh. It's astonishing that people could. So I think rather than answer the same questions all the time, maybe if we could prepare the new parents or step parents, et cetera, to avoid the landmines. Inevitably, this is a non it's an it's a no-win situation because you're dealing with emotion. We were involved in four couples, four rabbis, all wives had died of cancer, had remarried in another state. It wasn't New York, I won't say which. And we were able to help one of the couples. But in the other three, the children campaigned 
very hard to destroy the marriage and succeeded. Wow. It worries me. It worries me. Because, I'll tell you why. It worries me because there's a, a, a safer called Alina Le Shabir. It was, became very, very popular. I used to have it. And I moved to, when I moved to America, I didn't bring all my sforim with. <laughs> this is me cutting down. And I used to have it there. And there's a story there of some young man in some small town in Eretz Israel. And he was extraordinary. He was one of these big asconim of the of the Kihila. And everybody loved him. And he was very talented and all sorts of stuff. And he did so much of the Kihila. And then he suddenly died. And people were very upset. So they went to Rechaim. And I mean, these are from people. So they didn't know, you know, Cheshman of Shem is Borach and all that stuff. It doesn't matter. They were still very upset. And they wanted, you know, of all people, you know, he's given so much and he does so much. And the community is lost without him. So eventually he said, all I can tell you is, you know, the Torah says there are three categories of people that Hashem has got a special place that he looks out for. And that is, of course, Yisamim, Gerim, and Omonos. And of course, the common denominator is they've got nobody to protect them or fight for them anymore. All I can tell you is when he was a, when he was a young boy, his father, his mother died and his father remarried an Omona. And he destroyed the he destroyed the marriage. He did. That was the explanation he offered. So it worries me because it's yeah. if you know somebody marries a, you know an amon or whatever. Apart from the terrible damage their pain is doing them to themselves, they could be you know in Shemayim it might not be looked upon with as much sympathy as they might expect. And there you saw him, they should get a, a free pass as well. But that story is. It was an upsetting story. I just wish somehow I could, and that would be a magic wand, uh, a magic wand or a, a creation to break through all the pain and the agony that you saw me feel when their parents remarry. Okay. It's very profound. Wait. Me? Okay. You mentioned a new book I'm bringing out. Okay, so I guess as we like wind down, if there's any important points that should be mentioned to whether it's children or even adults that, you know, lose someone, anything important. I remember once I went to speak for Lynx in Borough Park. There was about, I think, 90, 100 girls there. And I brought along this book here. So this is my translation and parish of Sharab So it's a new translation, more than up-to-date translation, with sort of like notes. And, Wait, this, you wrote this book? Yeah, yeah. And so I had two copies. And at the end of it, in the book, I say, the thing about Sharp Betochen is that we normally only turn to it when we're in trouble. Right? Including me, by the way. I mean, I dipped into it as a rabbi, but to actually master it, no, only when you're really in trouble. But if that book was already in our hearts, and particularly in the hearts of our children, then when stuff gets tough, it wouldn't be so painful. So that was the idea. So I said... It's not so, that it doesn't get so painful. It's just that you have the tools to deal to with it. To deal with it, exactly. That's what I meant, yeah. So at the end, I said, look, I, I said to Robinson Cohen of Lynx, I said, look, I don't know the girls. You know. I said, so maybe I'm going to read you two copies. In case the, any of the girls want to learn it, you know, you can have two copies. Well, apparently when I went, there was a big fight erupted. They all wanted to learn it. Really? And there was a very sweet, there was a Nashkenazi, a Kassidish girl, a Sephardish girl, and then oh. Robinson Cohen said, there's so many, I think they bought 100. Oh, wow. And, and all the girls and, and women's groups, etc., were, were started to, you know, starting to learn this in links. And it it spoke to them. So apart from the good organizations and the, and the and the good individuals who are there to help you, 
Oh, and please make sure that anybody you turn to is well vetted and you know has a good reputation in this field. It's important to say, particularly for any adult listening to this, don't assume somebody calls themselves a rabbi is a rabbi apparently this guy wasn't and even if you're fully qualified people sort of like go off the derrick you have to make sure but anyway but this book or not saying necessarily my version or probably other lots of versions but but Shara Betochen is a big therapy it's very very important so I would say that and as you know because you very kindly uh, are become part of this I've got a new book coming out called Abi Yisamim the book for children who've lost a parent. And I hope that'll be out for Ellen. So basically, there are books, good books. There are good people. There's certainly very good organizations. And you mentioned at least three. Wait, did you ever see my book? I wish someone would have told yes, you. Yes, yes, it just came. Yes. Oh, so let's yeah. put a plug in for that also. Yeah, don't put a plug. Yeah, why not? <laughs> what should I say? You say something how good great about it your book. I should say how great it is. <laughs> I think I'll yeah, say, tell, that tell, I say what it's about. Say what it's about. <laughs> Well, it's for it's for teens that lost a parent. And someone just told me the other day, oh, you know who? I think it was Mrs. Landman, Judy Landman, that goes to the links. Yeah. She said to me, I was looking at look through your book and you covered every single topic. Like, how did you get every topic? And the truth is, my answer is like, it's, it's the girls that wrote it. I interviewed so many girls and I asked one question and they went on and brought up another whole point. And then I went to the next girl and I said, oh, and I spoke about that point. And then she right. brought up the next point. So okay. it's, it's, it's I'm getting a lot of good feedback. Okay. Yeah, so there's, I mean, there is, you know, so two books is this new mine, and you just heard of yours, about you told about yours. But I said the classic is, is Sharma talking, I think. It's a big challenge. Everybody for whom this podcast is relevant has gone through a huge insight, huge insight. So you need really, really good treatment to go over it or to get through it. And hopefully those books and maybe this podcast as well, this particular episode, I'm sure all the rest of them and all the other good people out there are certainly, I'm sure we all want to play a part in helping that, that helping that healing take place. Right. Okay. Well, thank you so, so much. I really, really, really appreciate you coming on. It's, it's been an honor. And thank you very much for letting me be a part of what you're doing. Call it a Thank you. You have just listened to an episode by Mrs. Miriam Ribiet. For more episodes or for additional information about future episodes, visit our website at www.chevralomdemishna.org or email mribiet at chevralomdemishna.org. To submit questions or comments for this speaker, to suggest another speaker who might be Mechazek others, or to sponsor a podcast, visit chevralomdemishna.org forward slash podcast.